Hey there, everyone. My name is Ari, and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So let's get right into it. Today, I'm going to tell you a story about a girl who stayed true to her convictions. A girl with no social status, no significant educational background or financial resources, who was born to a farmer's family. A girl who knew nothing but suffering and sorrow from outsiders, who had had her home ravaged and her village burned. A girl born and raised in rural France during an ever-present and terrible war that ended up right at her doorstep. A girl who rode for hundreds of miles to aid in the effort to crown a king, who felled entire armies and won a war that had raged for a hundred years against an unstoppable force. I know it sounds like a fairy tale, but it is the true story of Joan of Arc, a girl who was on a mission, who believed in herself enough to go forth into the world boldly sharing her visions with whoever dared go against her. Joan, when asked about her mission, replied boldly and directly, I am born for this. Joan stayed true to her convictions in a way that can only be demonstrated by listening to her story. Against all odds, against all opposition, against the ultimate threat, a slow and agonizing death at the hands of her enemies. The story of Joan of Arc is a unique one, as it is interwoven with the rarely seen combination of war, mysticism, religion, and the paranormal. The Hundred Years' War had raged forever, with several hard losses for France, firmly putting the country on the defensive against the English, with little strategy on how to turn the tides in their favor. Although prospects for France were grim, a prophecy gave hope to the people. The prophecy's origins are contested, with many versions and iterations being told around the land. Some believed it was first predicted by the great wizard Merlin himself. And the prophecy was this. France would be lost by a woman and restored by a woman. Another version declared more pointedly, France would be lost by a woman and restored by a virgin. I'll be going into why that's important to Joan and to her mission a little later on. But it was in this chaos that Joan was born. Around 1412, when France was embroiled in this bloody and everlasting war with England, I mean, it was literally called the Hundred Years' War. Joan grew up in a rural village in Domremy, the beautiful French countryside. Joan's village was often harassed and suffered by a group of rebels who belonged to France's opposition called the Burgundian Party. The village was brutally raided, pillaged, and burned on several occasions, all while Joan lived there. The constant intimidation by the Burgundians eventually led to the inevitable. Unfortunately, villagers had to abandon the land, abandon their homes, abandon their lives and everything they'd ever known. It was in these dire conditions that Joan was raised. It goes without saying that other people who would grow up in similar conditions would be profoundly negatively affected by these circumstances. 
I mean, purely by the violence and the horrible things that you have seen done to your homeland, anybody would be incensed, enraged, angry at their country. But these conditions seem to do nothing but steal Joan to march on her faithful journey ahead. That journey, fraught with many pitfalls and perils, really began when Joan was 13 years old. According to trial records, during Joan's examination on the stand, Joan asserted, I was 13 when I heard a voice from God for my help and guidance. This voice said to me two or three times, go to France. So to put it simply, Joan believed that she was hearing and receiving messages being delivered by the divine. These voices that Joan said she eventually learned were angels urged Joan to go to France as she would ultimately be the one to restore the Dauphine, who was the current rightful king of France. Joan described these voices as being accompanied by a light and a knowing that what they spoke was the truth. When further questioned about the validity of these voices, Joan replied, I will not tell you all. I have not leave. My voice is good and to be honored. I am not bound to answer you about it. I request that the points on which I do not now answer may be given to me in writing. There is a saying among children that sometimes one is hanged for speaking the truth. Joan is then asked, do you know if you are in the grace of God? Joan replied, if I am not, may God place me there. If I am, may God so keep me. I should be in the saddest in all the world if I knew that I were not in the grace of God. But if I were in a state of sin, do you think the voice would come to me? I want to highlight that this story is not about religion. It is more so focused on staying true and believing in yourself when nobody else believes in you. And that will be made even more apparent as the story continues. Those are the words of a 13-year-old girl who was on trial for her life. Joan's story is dotted with inexplicable supernatural instances that cannot objectively be dismissed so many years later. And so, setting out on the guidance of her divine messengers, Joan left her home to visit a nearby uncle who just happened to be nearby to a garrison. This garrison, located in Vaucalaire, was owned by the Dauphine. Joan wanted to request an audience with the captain of the garrison. So Joan began her journey. Upon her arrival at Vaucalaire, Joan claimed to immediately recognize the captain, whom she had never seen before, because the voices guided her so. Her objective was to receive permission from the captain to travel to meet the Dauphine and make her case fighting in the war for his honor and rightful title as the King of France. After initially meeting the captain and pleading her case, as can be expected, Joan was promptly turned away. Putting yourself in the captain's shoes, how would you receive a 13-year-old girl that claimed she was hearing voices from celestial beings? Joan confidently and without hesitation declared herself the savior of France she made it clear that she needed to ride into battle in the king's honor. Her, a 13-year-old girl. At being turned away, 
Joan did not immediately leave and decide it was over and done with. No, Joan then returned to the garrison to again plead her case and prove herself to the captain. To do this, Joan made a bold statement. She predicted the outcome of a battle in a completely different location that she had zero prior knowledge or connection to. Joan's prediction was made several days before it was confirmed by a messenger directly from the battlefield. After proving herself true to her word and further investigation by the captain, Joan was genuine and convincing enough that the captain granted her an armed guarded escort to meet the Dauphine. And so it began. Joan's prolific march to Orléans. Joan traveled for 11 days across contested enemy territory to eventually reach her destination at Chinon to speak with the Dauphine. Similar to her previous directness with the captain, upon her arrival to the castle, Joan immediately requested an audience with the Dauphine. The Dauphine, who'd been aware of the permission granted by his captain, was still unsure about receiving Joan. In a short time, Joan had developed a bit of notoriety. I mean, this girl was going around claiming to be the savior of France when they are literally in the middle of a war that is seemingly unwinnable at this point. It took the Dauphine two full days before he accepted Joan's request for an audience. What Joan didn't know, that over the two days, the Dauphine had devised a plan to test Joan's claimed supernatural abilities. Knowing what Joan would expect, the Dauphine would hide himself among the crowd of peasants and place an imposter upon his throne. After entering the chamber to approach the throne, Joan again immediately turned her attention to identify the Dauphine within the crowd in similar fashion as she had identified the captain at the previous garrison. In both instances, Joan had no prior knowledge of what these individuals looked like. Again, Joan had proven herself without effort. Joan was interrogated at length by the Dauphine's relatives, allies, and religious advisors. After several lengthy and tedious interrogations, Joan still displayed her usual incredible fortitude. Unfortunately, Joan was illiterate, but she still had time to dictate letters of defiance to the English, advising them that they could surrender now to avoid further hardships. She was able to convince the Dauphine's cohorts that she was a worthy resource in the fight for France. This would be the last obstacle before Joan's infamous Battle of Orléans. This should also be framed in the perspective that the kingdom was so desperate for a strategy, they were willing to give an ear to the ravings of a lunatic by today's standards. It's important to note, Joan wasn't an evangelist. I feel like I really have to cement that point as she does have strong religious beliefs, convictions, but she wasn't an evangelist. She didn't go around forcing her beliefs onto others. Joan said, there is not a day when I do not hear this voice and I have much need of it, but never have I asked of it any recompense but the salvation of my soul. Joan's journey has already proven arduous. 
riddled with obstacles and non-believers who immediately doubted her, forcing her to prove her case at every turn. But it's important not to forget, again, Joan trekked on. Was it from the supernatural spiritual strength or heavenly forces? Or was it Joan's pure will, her pure belief in herself that was propelling her forward? After Joan proved her loyalty to the crown, the Dauphine provided her a military household to accompany her into battle. She was also joined by her two brothers, Jean and Pierre. The next step was the question of Joan's armory. Joan requested to have her standard painted with an image of Christ and a banner bearing the name of Jesus. And here comes another wonderful tidbit that I'll go into a bit more into a bonus episode. When questioned about what sword Joan would use, she replied that the voices had instructed her one would be found buried behind an altar in a church. This church was dedicated to one of the saints that Joan claimed was speaking to her. I think it goes without saying, Joan found the sword in the exact location she said it would be, buried beneath a church. It was a relic. As the story progresses, you become enraptured in both the natural and supernatural aspects that are so entangled in Joan's story. Joan was chosen above all others to lead France into a bright and uncertain future under the rightful kingship. Such a fantasy was a luxury that could not be afforded by the Dauphine before Joan arrived and presented a solution that was nothing short of a miracle. Joan had the uncanny ability to be able to convince those who are not easily swayed to believe in her. The strong and steadfast way Joan held in her beliefs inspired a genuine confidence and inspiration in others that was almost palpable. Believing in oneself in those days as a woman, outside of what had been told or taught to you, was almost a cardinal sin. Joan presented herself to be exactly what she was, exactly what she'd always been from the very beginning, a young girl that had been chosen by the divine to lead the people of her land to triumph, victory, and peace. The English at this point had grown to be a devilish force. And like I said before, this story sounds like one out of a fairy tale, not the historical account of the birth of a nation. Yet these are the events that brought Joan to the Battle of Orléans. In the next episode, we're going to go into a little more detail into exactly what transpired during the Battle of Orléans. Again, though Joan was illiterate, she spoke with a natural power and eloquence that is not often found in a girl of her age. So many lovely quotes from Joan, but I'll leave you to ponder this one before I head off into the interwebs. One life is all we have. And we live it as we believe in living it. But to sacrifice what you are and to live without belief, that is a fate more terrible than dying. You can follow Made of Metal at Made of Metal Podcast on Instagram and on our website, madeofmetalpodcast.com. As we are fairly new, we're in the process of setting up more socials as well as a Patreon to offer more cool content, bonus episodes, and live chats with me to our listeners. I love to share knowledge and I love to help people. And I want this platform to be a space where we can all do that with each other. 
We're all working together. <laughs> Until next time, bloom where you are planted. <laughs>